the foundations of righteousness never lie in a culture. The foundations of righteousness lie in who God is and in what God loves. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, it's good to be reminded of that because I think many of us feel that the culture around us is going the wrong way. We want to fight against that, but it feels as if we're on the losing side. Oh, I think that's what Christians generally are feeling, isn't it? That there's a lot of change that is going on, and despite some very good things that we can see, it's evident that there's a very substantial movement in our culture away from faith. And then the question is, well, what are we to do about that? And and that can feel very discouraging. You know, are we losing the battle and all this kind of thing? Well, we have that directly addressed in Psalm 11. When the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Now, it's not one of these kind of throw up your hands and say, well, what can the righteous do? It's hopeless, you know, we're just defeated. It's when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then there's an answer. And Psalm 11 gives us the answer, and that's where we're headed today. Well, let's get into that in the next part of our message, how to pray when you feel like giving up. Here's Colin. Let's ask this question. Did Jesus ever have the experience of having to resist the well-meaning advice of a friend? Does Jesus know what it is to have to challenge these kinds of voices of fear and even of frustration? And the answer to that, of course, is absolutely yes. He's gone through all kinds of testings, just as we have. I can think of at least two occasions uh, when Jesus had to do this, to challenge the voice of fear and frustration from well-meaning friend, One that's perhaps less well-known is in Luke chapter 13 and verse 31. Some Pharisees, we're told, came to Jesus and they said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Isn't that interesting? Of course, most of the Pharisees were enemies of Jesus, but not all of them. Some of them obviously were well disposed towards him. Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night? And here are some Pharisees who clearly value Jesus and value his ministry, and they're giving him some inside intelligence. They know that Herod's after him. And they say, hey, Herod's going to kill you. You better get out of here. Flee like a bird to the mountain, you see. And it's the well-meaning advice of friends. Uh, We're for you, Jesus. That's why we're telling you this. And, of course, Christ had to challenge the voice of fear and, and of despair. And, and he said to them, go tell that fox, I behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will finish my work. I love that. In other words, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just straight on with what I'm doing. I love the way he says, go tell that fox. I mean, that's hardly sort of appeasing your enemies, is it? You know, tell Herod, he's a fox. But of course, the other occasion when Jesus had to challenge the well-meaning advice of a friend, and you'll have thought of this one, many of you already, much better known. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer many things, he must be killed, and on the third day he must rise from the dead. And you remember what Peter said? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus, you crucified, he's saying. Oh, we love you. We need you. That is the one thing that can never, never happen. And remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. 
So Jesus experienced a temptation that was shot at him from Satan through the very words of a friend who wanted to be protective of him and had no real discernment as to what the actual calling of God was in regards to his life. H.L. Ellison, a great biblical scholar, has said this really, really well. He says, the love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. That's worth remembering. The love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. There will be, at different points in life, people who care about you very, very much, and they'll perhaps be the first to say, well, now, what's the point in carrying on? You know, this is taking a toll of you. Nothing good will come of it. And these words go into your soul. And you need to challenge the voice of fear and the voice of frustration. That's what David does. He says, now look, in the Lord I take refuge. So how can you say to me, dear friend, flee like a bird to the mountain? How can you say, since I'm taking refuge in God, how can you say, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here is the first way to pray, and it, it's crucial. That's why I've taken the largest amount of time on it. You have to learn, and there is an art in this, what it is to come into the presence of God and with Jesus Christ right there beside you to challenge the voices of fear and the voice of frustration. Second, and more briefly, recognize the hand of God in the testing, in the testing. Now, when David's going through all of this, he recognizes that God is testing him. It's twice in the, in the psalm. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. Verse 4, his eyelids test the children of man. Remember that when the foundations are shaken, the hand of God is in the shaking. It's worth writing down and trying to remember when the foundations are shaken, the hand of God is in the shaking. And in this, he is testing the righteous. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, the end of the chapter. You can check out there. God says, once more, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And what is God doing when he shakes things that are, you know, the familiar foundations of our lives? Well, when he does that, he shakes the things that are created, he says, so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Derek Kidner has a marvelous comment on this. He says, the collapse of what is built on sand may be distressing. And I'll just pause there for a moment, so just take that in. Here's this huge, marvelous house and it's built on sand, and now the shaking comes and the whole thing collapses. That's very distressing. It's a beautiful house. He says, the collapse of what is built on sand may be distressing, but it can also be a beginning. That's powerful. God shakes what's built on sand, that something may be built on a better foundation that would never have been built if that which was built on sand were allowed simply to remain. 
And you know, in a very real sense, that is what happened with Job. Remember the story in the Bible? Job was a righteous man. God had blessed him in many ways, and the infrastructure of his life was very blessed. Money, children, family, home. And you remember that in one day, the whole infrastructure of Job's life was hit with multiple disasters. It all happened in a day. And his wealth that was represented by flocks and by herds was completely plundered. The Sabaeans came, took all these flocks and herds off. In the same day, a mighty wind comes and this marvelous home completely collapsed. And what is even worse, his children, all of his children were inside the house at the time and every one of them died in the rubble. It's the story of Job. And so suddenly, all of the infrastructure, all of the good gifts of God that, on which we natural de- naturally depend, all of the things that we think of as being foundational to life in this world, home, family, business, income, it's all gone. And Job's wife says, why don't you curse God and die? See what she's saying. Now, what's the point? Everything that we've lived for here, everything that we've worked for here is gone. And so obviously God has it in you. His bow must be bent and his arrow must be pointing in your direction. What's the use of faith? What's the use of keeping on pursuing a righteous life? Job, you are a righteous man, but when the foundations are destroyed, what can even the righteous do? curse God and die. And it comes from the person right next to him. And don't you think when the person he loved said that, that it must have gone through his ear and right into his soul? How can you say to my soul? Job was hearing the voice of fear. He was hearing the voice of frustration, the voice of despair. But you know what? He challenged it. And he took refuge in God. And here's what he said. It's a beautiful verse. Uh, Job 23 and verse 10. He said, God knows the way that I take. And when he has, notice the word, tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he's tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So not only does he challenge the voice of fear and frustration that comes from his wife, but he recognizes the test that God has brought about in these very circumstances of his life. And he says, now God knows the way that I take, and when when I have been tested, I will come forth as gold. And surely Peter, the apostle, must have had that verse in his mind when he takes that same principle and applies it to all of us. And he says, now look, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all going to experience many trials of different kinds. And when that happens to you, understand what is going on. It's rather like gold that is being refined in the furnace. And what will happen as you persevere through that test when I have been tested, I shall come forth as gold, is that the gold is going to be refined, your faith will be proved genuine, and more than that, it's going to rebound to praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So how to pray when I feel like giving up? I've got to challenge the voice of fear and frustration. 
I've got to recognize the hand of God in the test. Oh God, this is a test. And I want to come forth like gold in this test. I'm going to be a quitter in this test. I want to come forth like gold so that that will rebound to praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed because when the gold was put in the fire it was refined and the faith was proved to be genuine. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message How to Pray When You Feel Like Giving Up. It's part of our series with Christ in the School of Prayer and if you've missed any of the series or you want to go back and listen again please come online to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and if you're considering supporting our ministry in that way, we have an offer for you this month. If you're able to set up a new regular donation to Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more, we'd love to send you a book. It's called Christian Manifesto by Alistair Begg, and it's very much for anyone who feels anxious about the deepening divisions in our culture at the present time. It's full of the grace and wisdom of Jesus. And we'd love to send you a copy of the book if you are able to set up a new donation to the work of Open the Bible. Full details on our website, which is at openthebible.org.uk. Back to the message now. Here's Colin. And then here's the third thing. Challenge the voice of fear and frustration. Recognize the hand of God in the testing. Third, affirm the sovereignty of God at the hardest times. This is huge. Affirm the sovereignty of God at the hardest times. Now, notice how David overcomes his fear and overcomes the frustration that's being spoken into his life. He does it by fixing his mind and his heart on God. So that from verse 4 onwards, it's almost relentless. It's just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple, verse 4. The Lord's throne is in heaven, same verse. His eyes see. The Lord tests the righteous, verse 5. His soul hates the wicked. Verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked. For the Lord, verse 7, is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall see his face. So you see what's happening. Here's how I take refuge in God. Here's how I challenge the voices of fear and frustration. I recognize the hand of God in the test and I lift my mind. And I just fix it on God is on the throne. God is in his temple. Of course, there wasn't a temple in the time of David in the sense of the the temple that was built in the time of Solomon. So what he's saying there is God is on the throne and God is with his people. That's what it means. And he's with me. And I can't put things right when the foundations are destroyed. I can't rebuild all the foundations, but God can. I can't deal with the wicked, but God can and he will. And you know, here's the most wonderful thing. Look at it in the last verse. The Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. See, the foundations of righteousness never lie in a culture. They don't lie in our culture. They never did. The foundations of righteousness lie in who God is and in what God loves. The Lord is righteous, and he loves righteous deeds. 
And so, as a Christians, we may experience all kinds of change in the world around us. What we've got to understand is that the foundation of righteousness never rested in the culture. It rests in who God is and what God loves. And God is still on the throne. And when I feel like giving up, I need to get my mind and my heart fixed on him. So here's how to pray. You should look at how you're praying in times of discouragement and say, are these things there? Because this, this is what I need. This is how strength's going to come. Challenging the voice of fear and frustration, recognizing the hand of God in the testing, affirm the sovereignty of God at all times. And here's the very last thing, just briefly. Anticipate the joy of the final outcome. Anticipate the joy of the final outcome. I'm just looking at the last line of the psalm, and it's the best line of all. The upright shall behold his face. The upright shall behold the face of God. Is there any greater motivation and incentive for persevering through difficult times than this? I'm going to see the face of God. To a Christian believer, that means all the world. And here you're giving me this advice. You're saying, flee like a bird to the mountain. You're saying, what can the righteous do and all this stuff? And I, no, I'm going to take refuge in God. And I'm going to live my life with perseverance because here's what the outcome of it is going to be for me. Whatever happens in this world, I am going to behold his face. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus Christ, that's going to be the glory, the greatest joy. That's the, the outcome. That's the beginning of all the joys of eternity for you. I shall behold his face. One story and then we're through for today. And it's a true story and a beautiful one. About a British man by the name, now get this, by the name of William Montague Dyke. You know, when you're called Smith, you sometimes think, you know, William Montague Dyke. That's, that's a name. Well, here's the true story of William. He was blinded in a sad accident at the age of just 10 years old. Very brilliant. He went to university and working through the disadvantages of his blindness, he graduated with very high honors. While he was in school, William fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer, and the two of them became engaged to be married. And shortly before the wedding, short time before, William had the opportunity of eye surgery that had the potential to restore his sight, but it was a one-shot deal, and he knew that if uh, the operation should fail, he would indeed be blind for the rest of his life. He has this operation, and of course, immediately after the operation, eyes uh, swathed in bandages, and uh, because it was only a short time until the wedding, William insisted on keeping the bandages on his face until the day of the wedding. If the surgery was successful, he wanted the very first person he saw to be his bride standing beside him. Well, the day of the wedding arrived, and the guests assembled to witness the couple taking their vows. William is standing next to his father, 
And next to his father is the doctor, the surgeon who had performed the operation on William. The uh, organ trumpets the wedding march, the bride walks down the aisle at the front of the church. And can you picture this? As soon as she arrives, the surgeon whips a big pair of scissors out of his pocket and uh, starts cutting away at these bandages. Can you imagine the tension in the cathedral? And everyone in the room holding their breath, waiting to see, would William actually be able to see the woman who was standing in front of him? And as he stood face to face with her, the whole crowd in the congregation heard one sentence just echo through the whole place as William said, you are more beautiful than I had ever imagined. Friends, one day you are going to behold the Lord's face. And having walked by faith, not by sight, the bandages are going to be taken off for you. And you are going to see that his glory is greater than anything that you had ever imagined. And when you stand in his presence on that day and you behold his face, you will be so, so glad that you persevered. What a powerful reminder that however hard we find the road we're traveling, the destination will make it all worthwhile. If you're struggling to pray, this series, With Christ in the School of Prayer, is there to encourage us, and you can come back and listen to it again at any time. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and this message and all our previous messages are available on our website. That's at openthebible.org.uk. You might also find that listening to the messages as a podcast is a, a great way to access Pastor Colin Smith's messages at a time convenient to you. So if you'd like to do that, please go to your regular podcasting site and search for Open the Bible UK. There you can find both the broadcast messages and Open the Bible Daily, which is a series of short two to three minute reflections based on Pastor Colin Smith's teaching and read in the UK by Sue McLeish. Open the Bible for Leaders is a free video-based training designed to equip all kinds of leaders with a solid biblical foundation and practical guidance for establishing fruitful gospel ministry for the long haul. Whatever your leadership role is within your church, these materials can equip, refresh and inspire you in your ministry. They're designed to work well for groups of leaders and can also benefit individuals. This is a series coming soon to Open the Bible UK, and you can already see a taster session on our website. Go to openthebible.org.uk forward slash leaders. There you'll be able to view session one, Growing in Godliness. Open the Bible is supported entirely by our listeners, people just like you. If you've been considering supporting Open the Bible financially, we have an offer for you. If you're able to set up a payment of £5 per month or more, we'd love to thank you by sending you a book. It's called The Christian Manifesto by Alistair Begg. Colin, who is this book for? Well, it's really for anyone who is concerned about the deepening cultural divisions and hostilities 
that seem to be engulfing us these days. And I would think that that would include any thoughtful Christian. It is a marvelous book that is just full of the kind of grace and the kind of wisdom that we need. You know, it seems like Christians are often trying to get a sense of, you know, whose side are we on? Which side are we on? And the the answer to that question is we're on the side of Jesus. And Alistair Begg has very wonderfully drawn out from Luke's account of the great sermon of Jesus, the distinctive call of the Lord Jesus Christ, the manifesto that's given to us as his followers, which is unlike anything else that will ever be found anywhere in the world. I found it refreshing, stimulating. I found it full of hope and full of wisdom, full of encouragement. And I'm very grateful that we have the opportunity of making this book available this month. Well, this book, The Christian Manifesto by Alistair Begg, is our gift to you if you're able to set up a new donation for Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more. More details on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us again next time. If Jesus is the light of the world, why don't your son and daughter or other family and friends see how wonderful he is? Find out next time on Open the Bible.